Welcome to Souls Harbor's weekly podcast. We believe that God has called us to lead people into a relationship with Jesus Christ, help them grow to be like Jesus, and involve them in reaching lost people. Listen now to this week's message. Hey everyone, welcome to our study tonight. We are glad to have you with us. Uh, if this is your first time uh, as a part of our study on our feet, I'm Pastor Barry from Souls Harbor, and it's a privilege to have you here tonight. We've got a great study ahead of us, and uh, we are going to dig in tonight, continue on with this whole uh, story of the Old Testament that we've been going through for some time. But tonight we're going to look into where we've been in the prophets for the last last week and this week, but tonight we're going to focus in on the idea of repentance. And if you've ever been in a place in your life where you needed to say, I'm sorry, or somebody else needed to say they're sorry to you, well, that that's going to tie in a little bit with repentance tonight, because we've all had those instances where somebody said the words, but you could look in their eyes and tell that there wasn't really much uh, repentance there. So we're going to talk about repentance at, at uh, length tonight. And uh, it, it's just good to have you. As always, uh, we love engagement. I love it when you guys comment. Feel free to like, to share, uh, and jump into the discussion tonight. I can't always respond just because of the format that we're in right here, uh, at least not in real time, but we'd love to have you comment and others will jump in as well. Well, it's Tuesday when we're having our Wednesday night Bible study. That's what happens on Thanksgiving week every year. So I don't know how our crowd will be tonight because of the change in days, but hopefully uh, a number of you are out there. I saw Bill and Jan with us a minute ago. I see Shelly's jumped on and we've got Robin and Eric. Maybe I, I see Rob. It's Robin's account. Maybe Eric's with us. I hope so. And Janet and Pastor are out there. So good. We're, we've got a few people tonight. Hey, let's jump into this. Uh, I uh, This is a really good study and I'm, I'm really looking forward to this. So let's, uh, let's dig in tonight. If you've got your Bibles, we're going to be mostly in the book of Joel. Um, and I've got most of the scriptures here on the in the in the screen on the screen as well. So let's dig in and follow along. So uh, as we do each week, let's just take a moment and remember where we've been uh, and revisit a little bit of that. So we started week one with talking about creation and the fall and and how God made humanity. He made mankind with the idea of being in relationship, and the fall destroyed that. It, it put a separation, a wall of separation between God and man. And then we we, we also quickly moved into uh, God's plan of restoration. God was not willing to let that, that wall of separation stand, and he put in place a plan to bring man back to the opportunity of restoration. And we followed that, that plan throughout the Old Testament, through the Pentateuch, at the first five books of the Bible, the historical books, and now into the prophets. We looked in the historical books uh, at, at the fall of Israel and the fall of the southern kingdom Judah, and we talked about that quite a lot. And, and we've talked a lot also about God's grace and how patient and how gracious God is, even in the Old Testament, although sometimes we miss that reality because we see so much, we so often see God as a God of wrath in the Old Testament. We spent last week looking uh, at Jeremiah and the idea of idolatry. What was it that was so profoundly hurtful uh, and, and, and to Israel and to God that he had to finally bring judgment just to bring justice upon his people. And we see that in large part it was idolatry. And we looked at the reality that idolatry is much like unfaithfulness in marriage. If you can imagine our covenant with God it, it, it is in a similar vein as our covenant, our marriage covenant, well, to put other other gods in the place of, of the one God is to break that faithfulness, that covenant faithfulness, 
And in many times, Old Testament and New Testament, God makes that comparison and he talks about unfaithfulness to him, putting other things in his place as a source of security or a source of safety or a source of pleasure. Putting other things in his place is, is the same as unfaithfulness in a marriage. And we spent a, a good bit of time last week looking at that. Uh, tonight we're going to look, as I said, at, at repentance, and we're going to be in the book of Joel. And we're continuing. Just, I, I want you to continue to keep, keep in the back of your mind this idea of covenant, but also covenant and grace. They they very much go together, together because as we see the covenant broken and we see God having to bring judgment because mankind has broken the covenant, there continues to be that thread of grace that runs throughout. So let's talk about Joel for a little bit. Uh, Joel chapter 2. Joel's probably most known uh, as as the, the, the prophetic word of pouring out a spirit in the last days that's quoted in Acts. But we're going to look at a different chapter tonight. We're going to start in chapter 2 and we're going to look at four or five verses that that really will hit this idea of repentance. I also want you, as I've said, when we talk about grace, remember that even in failure and judgment, God did not ever give up on his people. And, and let me just stop there for a minute and say this to you. I don't know who all is on our feed at any given time, and we have a lot of people that come back and will watch the feed, watch the video, the, the, the recording after the fact. So let me just say this to you. If you're out there and you've hit a place in your life where you feel like your failure is too great, that God has given up you, up on you. I want you to know that this is not God's character. This is not God's way. It's never been God's way. From the very beginning um, of, of, of creation, from the very beginning of time, God has never given up on his people and he's not given up on you. And I hope tonight as we work through repentance, maybe some of what we're talking about will give you encouragement and hope that with repentance comes forgiveness and comes restoration to that relationship. And don't let anybody, even yourself or even the enemy, tell you that you've gone too far. Your failure has been too great. God can't or won't forgive you. It's just not true. And I want you to know that tonight. Joel prophesied to the southern kingdom. Uh, if you remember this, these are the tribes, uh, tribe of Judah primarily. Benjamin also is a part of that. The southern kingdom of Judah is where he prophesied. Repentance was a key component of, of his prophecies and what he has to say. And here's a question for you tonight, and if you want to throw a comment out there, feel free to do that. What does it mean to repent? Because, well, let's just leave it at that for the moment. What does it mean to repent? And I want to give you a moment to respond to that. Um, how do you see repentance? What is involved in repentance? What does it take to bring about repentance? When somebody comes to you and says, uh, I, I, the, the term we use is, I'm sorry. How, what, is it, what is it about their apology, their sorriness, their repentance that makes you feel like it's real, it's legitimate, it's, 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 it's from the soul, from the heart, as opposed to something that is just lip service? What does it mean to truly repent versus what does it mean just to go through the motions? I'd be, and will be very interested to hear your thoughts on that. You guys feel free to post that. Let's continue to move forward as you throw out some comments there. And let's look at Joel for the answer to that question. What does repentance really look like? Verse 12, he says this, he says, yet even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious 
and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. Now, what I want to do tonight is take that passage and a few others, and let's break this down and look at repentance in that context. Let's start with the idea of heart change tonight. Um, he says, and, 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 and let's look at this one more time, just so we connect it to Joel really clearly and really well here. Uh, he says this, Yet even now declares the Lord, Return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. And I haven't had a chance to look at your comments, but I suspect some of you tonight responded, Real repentance comes from the heart. Somebody comes to me and says, I'm sorry. I want to know that it's a deeper level than just, Oh, I'm really uh, sorry that I got caught. Okay, I'm really sorry that I'm in trouble. We want to see that there's real sorrow. And, and we see in Joel, he says, let there be weeping. Let there be a, a repentance of the heart. And, and the first thing that has to happen is we have to realize it has to be deeper than just surface. surface. Now, I've asked this question a number of times. Um, can a nation legislate righteousness? And I, I, you guys have thought about that, responded to that. Can a nation put in place laws that causes people to be moral or be righteous or do the right thing? And, and you know, there's differing views on that. And, and it's a great conversation when we're all meeting together face to face. But I think to some degree, we would all have to agree that, yes, we can we can legislate morality. We can legislate to some degree or another um, uh, moral actions and right actions if actions are enough. But the real question that ought to be asked is a little deeper than that, and it's where we're at tonight. Not can a nation legislate righteousness, but rather can it legislate repentance? Because righteousness can be hidden, it can be surface deep, it can be going through the motions, it can be doing the right thing for the wrong reason, it can be doing the right thing because I'm afraid that I'm going to have to pay a price I'm not willing to pay. But repentance is a matter of the heart. And can a nation legislate repentance? And I think the answer to that is absolutely not. We can set the standard, we can set the bar, but only mankind can decide whether they're doing what they're doing. They're making a change of direction. They're coming to repentance. Only only an individual can make the decision, I'm going to do that from the heart. And, and, and I believe that is a key part of repentance. What does it mean to repent? Well, let's look at another piece of this tonight. We go back to Joel 12 and 13. He says in verse 13, after he said there has to be a, a, a change, a return of the heart to God, he says then in verse 13, and rend your hearts and not your garments. Rend your heart, tear your heart and not your garment. And, and I want to spend a few moments on that tonight, this idea of rending or tearing the heart. Now, I've got a video I want to show you, and its I'll just tell you now, it's not super great quality. It's a rabbi speaking about the Jewish um, tradition and the Jewish belief about why they tear their a garment at, at when they grieve and at a moment of death. And many of us have seen that, and I know many of you have read it in the Old Testament. So it's a couple minutes long. Like I said, it's not the greatest quality in the world, but I think there's some really uh, powerful truths that will apply to what we're doing tonight. So listen to this rabbi as he talks about uh, what, why and what it means, the significance behind rending of a garment. Now, I found that fascinating. I found that very interesting. And I think there are some truths that he brings out about that tradition that can be applied tonight 
to this idea of rending or tearing the heart as opposed to the garment. And let's, let's just look at these for a moment. The idea of tearing the garment, rending the garment, uh, if you noticed what he said, it was representative of a tearing of the fabric of life. There was something in your life that had been so painful, so difficult that it torn your life and it was representative of that. Also, the tearing of the garment was to be done at the time of death. And as I think through New Testament references, I, I can see some connections there. And I want you to just think these through with me. The idea of rending the heart rather than rending the garment, which is what Joel said to do. Perhaps we can connect that to it's that moment in time where we put to death what is earthly in ourselves. Uh, Colossians 3, 5 puts it this way, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Now, it's not a direct uh, one-to-one connection here, because when I rend, a, when, they, when, when a Jewish person rends their garment, it's grief over the loss of something valuable, somebody that they cared about, where here it's a, it would be more of a rending of the heart, because we're putting to death that thing in us that is evil and sinful. But let's be honest about this. Many times uh, we care a great deal about that thing of sin in our hearts and in our lives. We cherish it. We care for it. We we nurture it. We nourish it. And, and we need to put that to death, even though at times it is painful. And we don't like to admit that, but it is painful. We need to put that to, to, to death. And, and at that time, there will be a rending of the heart. There will be grief because we're giving up something that has had a strong hold on us. And maybe we've even cherished for a long time, but we realize that it's come between us and God, and it's caused a problem in our life, and we rend our heart. We tear our heart because we're putting that thing to death. Tearing the heart is this. It's acknowledging how sin has torn the fabric of our life. And and, and listen, those of you that have struggled with sin, all of us, especially prior to, to getting to a place in our lives where we were born again, we walked in relationship with God and, and we had we had found some level of sanctification and, and some maturity. Um, sin is, it's fun to begin with, but it is a hook that gets embedded that brings pain and suffering and destruction. And it does. It absolutely tears the fabric of our life. If you doubt it, how many friends, how many family members, how many co-workers have you watched poor choices, sinful choices bring all kinds of pain and consequences upon their family, upon their finances, upon their lives. And, and, and many times, sometimes it's physical, sometimes it's relational, sometimes it's emotional, sometimes it's mental. Uh, it can be financial. It can be all of those things. When we make poor choices, sinful choices, it will rend, it will tear the fabric of our life. Therefore, when that sin is gone from our life, that is a place to, to rend or tear the heart. Also, it's, it's that moment in time where we allow the Holy Spirit to tear sin from our life. We need the help of the Holy Spirit to get that hook out. And sometimes removing sin from our life can be a painful process. But we need we need to allow the Holy Spirit to rend that thing, to tear that thing from our life. And then finally, as I mentioned, it's putting to death sin and sinful desires by the power of the Holy Spirit. I believe there is a very real connection to that tradition of tearing the, the garment and tearing the heart. But the thing is, we tear the heart because the outward surface is not enough. It's not adequate. We can't just do that. We have to, to let this be a heart issue, a heart deep 
thing. Let's talk about tonight for a moment motivation for repentance. Why are we motivated to repent? Now look, we, we can look at this a number of ways. Many people are motivated to repent because they don't want to spend eternity in hell. We've all um, known people and seen people that have the deathbed um, salvation experience, and I believe that can be a very real thing, again, if the heart is sincere in that. But, you know, there's a deeper motivation than just that. Some people, when, when they're in the middle of a tragedy, in the middle of a trial, in the middle of a hard place they don't know how to get out of, that's when they have that motivation for repentance. And again, I believe those can be moments where we truly do change. But let's look at, at, at what Joel tells us about this motivation. I, I want you to see this tonight. He says this in verse 12. He says, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. And then he says this, return to the Lord your God. Here's the motivation. Return to the Lord your God, for he's gracious and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast, or the, 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 uh, the, the Jewish word, the, the um, Hebrew word is hesed. He is abounding in steadfast or hesed love and relents over disaster. Why are we motivated? Because our God loves us, because he's gracious and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast or hesed love. And I want to tonight focus for a few minutes on that idea of hesed love. And again, I've got a video I want you to watch tonight. It's a few minutes long, but it does a great job of explaining the depth of this word hesed. It's one of those, it's one of those Hebrew words that does not translate well from Hebrew to English because it has it takes so many different meanings in English to cover all that it means in the original language. So watch this uh, with us tonight and, and just get an idea of what Hesed love is all about. Beautiful text for the verse of the week this week, Lamentations 3.22. Uh, Lamentations, because it's a lament, this is the poem or the collection of poems from Jeremiah right around the time of the destruction of Jerusalem, uh, which is going to be... 586, some like 587 for that date, BC when the Babylonians were coming in. And Jeremiah prophesied these things, and now he's seeing these things come to pass. And it's a it's structured really quite amazingly. I was just looking this up. So this is in, in the Hebrew, it's an acrostic. You notice chapters one, two, and four all have 22 verses. In fact, chapter four, and it's Aleph, Beth, Gimel. This is the Hebrew alphabet. Oh, so one verse for each letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Until you get to chapter 3, you can... Where's chapter 3? Yeah, look at this. Aleph, 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 Bet, Bet, Bet. Gimel, 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 Daleth, Daleth, Daleth. So that chapter 3 has... It must be 22 times 3. 66 verses, one, uh, three verses for each letter. And that's where we are, chapter 22. Now, this is the... Just since we're looking here, you see this is the divine name. Here, uh, this is Yahweh, the divine name. And then this is the key word, chesed, that's right here in the beginning. The steadfast love of the Lord. Now, maybe just a couple of things to note um, here. First is when we see Lord in all capital letters, that's where we know we're dealing with the divine name. Uh, the, Yahweh, again, is how people pronounce it mostly uh, this these days. Sometimes you'll see God with all capital letters as well. That's also an indication that you're dealing with the divine name. And then this word here, I don't know how to spell it, Hesed, something like this, is all over the Old Testament, and it's difficult to translate. Different versions will translate in different ways. But steadfast love, uh, unending mercy, 
covenant faithfulness. This, this word is, it's like if you took all of the gospel attributes of God, his kindness, his mercy, his trustworthiness, his keeping his promise, his, his love for us, his making promises, all of that, and you just crammed it into one word, that's the word that you'd get. Now look, look at how beautiful it is. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies, it's not just one mercy, his mercies never come to an end. So that in the midst of the tragedy of Jerusalem being crushed and falling over, this is what Jerusalem looks like when it's falling over. Here's the mountains, the rocks, they're all scattered around. Here's the road and the gates fallen, and it's all this falling apart. The Lord still has mercy and love and kindness. God be praised. So maybe he doesn't have a career as an artist, but the idea of Hesed love. Now listen, he he pulled that from Lamentations, okay? Steadfast love. He pulled that from Lamentations. Now, if you remember, we're not looking at Lamentations, though. We're looking at um, Joel. And, and But I want you to see this. Steadfast. See it here? Steadfast love. And, and I don't know if he said it in the clip or not, but that word, hesed, in, any time in the Old Testament you're reading and you see steadfast love, automatically let your mind go to hesed. And if you're able to go back and connect what you're reading to uh, Hebrew, you're probably going to find out that is almost always the word that's being translated. Covenant love, uh, steadfast love, uh, steadfast faithfulness, loving faithfulness. Those are all different ways it gets it gets translated. And it's throughout the Old Testament, throughout all of the Old Testament. And notice in Lamentations, I mean, that was a lament. It was a time of weeping and grief uh, as the children of Is or the children of Judah were being carried into captivity when the, the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed, 586 BC. That's exactly the time we're looking at, we're talking about tonight. And you see it coming through in a different, an entirely different book, but that idea of Hesed love. So let's go back to this. What is our motivation for repentance? See that the children of Israel, and when we look at Lamentations, and when we look here as well, or the children of Judah, if you will, um, you, you know, they could have been motivated because their their temple was destroyed, their city was destroyed, they were being carried captive. And, and that's certainly good motivation. We can be motivated to repent because our lives have fallen apart and they've been torn up and they've been destroyed and sins had horrible consequences. And that's not bad motivation, but I think Lamentations is saying, and I think Joel is saying to us, there's a deeper motivation for being uh, willing to repent or, or, or feeling the need to repent. And it's this, that God loves us. God is faithful. God covers us. God, God is attracted to tr attracting us, drawing us. His mercy is never ending. All of those things. When we've got somebody out there, be it a parent, uh, be it be it a spouse, be it whoever in our lives, and certainly God, who will love us through our faults and love us through our failings and love us through our shortcomings and love us through our our, our mistakes, then that's somebody that we need to grab a hold of and gravitate towards. And and that's a great motivation for repentance. And and not just that surface repentance of, you know, okay, I'm sorry, but that deeper repentance that says, you know what, I, I see the pain that I've caused you and I see the love you have for me. Therefore, I'm, I'm going to change direction in my life. I'm going to go a different direction. Motivation for this idea of, um, uh, 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 of repentance. It, it's a powerful thing. 
Now, here's a question for you tonight, and, 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 and I ask all of you this, and I, I hope you'll take a moment to uh, look a little bit within, okay? Is there something in your life that requires repentance? Is there something going on in your life that you know the Holy Spirit has been convicting you about and dealing with you about, and there needs to be a moment of heart change, of repentance? If there is tonight, I, I hope and I pray as we complete our study here in a moment that, that you will tear your heart, let the Holy Spirit tear that thing from your heart, that you will you will be broken before God and, and realize that God is gracious and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in his steadfast or his hesed love. And, and I hope you'll take a moment tonight and look within and ask that question. Is there an attitude? Is there an action? Is the way I've been thinking, is there something I've been doing, is there something in my life that is bringing a separation or a distance between me and God that I need to repent of? I don't need you to throw that on the feed tonight. What I need you to do and what I believe God wants you to do and I'm hoping you will do is find a moment with God today, tonight, tomorrow morning and, and bow your head and spend a few moments with him and let the Holy Spirit begin to do that that job that only he can do and bring you to that place of repentance. Let's look at just a couple of other aspects of this tonight before we bring this to a close. And I'm watching my clock up here on my wall. Let's look at the idea of national and community repentance because we're so individualized in America and in Western society that we miss this sometimes. So let's look at this. And, and I'll start with a question. Are Christians responsible to repent for the sins of their nation. In other words, this nation, our nation, let's just talk about our nation. There's plenty of things going on right now. I know it. You know it. We could spend an entire study looking at it, comparing it to Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament. There's plenty of things that are displeasing to God, that fall into that category of unrighteousness and sin, and, and some of them to the level of just being horrendous in God's sight. And my question is, whether you're involved in it or not, are Christians responsible to repent for the sins of their nation? Now, you can throw an answer out there if you choose to, or, or just wait here for a moment, uh, and, and let's look at some scripture to answer that. And I'm going to take you to Joel, the next couple of verses uh, after where we were just at, and I want you to see this. Blow the trumpet in Zion, Joel said. He said, consecrate a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the people, consecrate, consecrate the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children, even nursing infants, let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber. He said, call the nation together and we are going to have a consecrated fast. We are going to have a moment as a nation of repentance. Uh, it, it's so important. It's so serious. It's such a big deal that I, it doesn't matter whether you're in the middle of a marriage. It doesn't matter whether you're nursing. Um, whatever the case, you need to be here, and we as a nation are going to repent. And certainly there was within Joel the idea of national repentance. I remember um, Oklahoma City, the bombing. I remember this nation um, this nation, a sense of prayer. I remember even more so 9-11, people um, going to churches, local churches. I was in Castleton working at the time, and I left my job at noon to go to a church that was a few blocks away because they had opened the church up for a noon prayer time. And all across this country, people were going and calling out to God. But it was because we had a national tragedy, not because we had a nationally broken heart. So is there a place for national 
Community repentance, absolutely there is. It needs to be deeper than surface. I want to point you to another scripture tonight and, and tie this then to we as Christians do. We need to repent for the sins of our nation. And I'll take you to Second Chronicles 7.14, which we read last week. If my people who are called by my name, if those who are believers, if those who are Christians, my people who are called by my name, humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and heal their land. And I believe there is a place for we as Christians to cry out to God and repent and be brokenhearted and grieve uh, over the sins of our nation. There's a place for that, a place to call out to God and ask him to turn the direction of our nation around. Let's look at another piece of this tonight, and it's the, the place of priest. It comes just a verse later in verse 17. It says this, Between the vestibule and the altar, let the priests, the ministers of the Lord, weep and say, Spare your people, O Lord, and make not your heritage a reproach, a byword among the nations. Why should they say among the peoples, where is their God? Let the priests and the ministers of the Lord weep and say, spare your people. And you may be thinking, pastor, that means you pastors, you preachers, you ministers need to be doing this. And certainly we do. But I want to take it deeper than that tonight by looking at the idea of the New Testament priest. Look at verse uh, 5, chapter 2, 1 Peter. You yourselves, all of us, we that are believers in Christ are like living stones being built up as spiritual houses to be a holy priesthood. If you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Christ tonight, then you are a priest in a New Testament sense to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We all step into that role as priests that need to call out to God and to weep and to grieve. One other in 1 Peter 2.9, you are a chosen race, a race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. We have as Christians that responsibility to proclaim the excellency of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. And part of doing that is repenting and repenting for the sins of our nation as well. Let me bring this to a close tonight with this last couple of thoughts. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. I believe that's a very powerful and important verse. Now, it was applied originally in Chronicles to the children of Israel, the, the, God's chosen people. But today we are all his chosen people. In fact, through all time, all people have been his chosen people. They happen to be the ones, though, that that verse was originally directed towards because they were the nation from which the Messiah, the promise would come, which would, or back to God's plan, which would bring the fulfillment of his plan where all nations could once again walk in right relationship with, with him. We need to call upon God as a people of God in the American nation. We need to repent if we have sin in our lives. We need to be humble in what we do. And we need to continue to hold out that hope and that promise and that belief that God is a God of mercy, grace, Hesed love, and there still is time for our nation. If it turns out that we've passed that watershed moment and there isn't, well, I'm going to hang on until that moment comes. But even in the darkest moments, even if there comes judgment, even if there comes a place where God says, I've got to bring judgment, I'm still going to hold on to that hope that God is still going to bless his people. Remember this, even in the darkest moment, personally, in your own life, and nationally, there is hope. Because our God is a God of long-suffering patience and love. God, and I, I want you to remember this, and we're going to continue on with the prophetic books next week with one more week. Then we're going to finish up with the, the period where the uh, nation of Judah comes out of 
um, captivity in Babylon, and we're going to end our Old Testament study shortly after that. But I want you to remember this. God has not forgotten his plan of restoration as we go through this story of the Old Testament. Now, you know that because Jesus came. You know that because the Messiah came. You know that because you walk in right relationship today. But it's easy sometimes to think God's forgotten his plan. He's given up. And we know it didn't happen in the Old Testament, but I want you to know this tonight. It's not happened in your life either. God still loves you. He still cares for you. He still has a plan for you. He's still looking for you to call out to him in repentance and a broken heart. He still wants to bring good things into your life. And we're going to end tonight with that. Hey, you guys, listen, man, it's been so good to have you with us tonight. You have a great Thanksgiving. Um, eat all the turkey you can. Uh, enjoy the stuffing. I don't even know if there's going to be football this year. I'm not sure or not. Uh, if there is... Um, go watch some football, but whatever. Enjoy your family and be thankful. Take a moment this uh, next few days to be thankful and thank God for the blessings we do have in America and uh, call out for your nation in, in a heart of brokenness and repentance. I believe there's a value in that. God bless you guys. Uh, stay COVID safe out there as you go through all the holiday seasons and uh, I hope to see you soon. Take care. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you're looking for a church home or are interested in what God is doing through Souls Harbor, visit us at www.soulsharborag.com. If you have an encouraging story of what God has done in your life through these podcasts, please share it with us at sharbor at indy.rr.com.